All right. We're actually wrapping up the last lesson in a series of lessons on reasons to believe. If you've been here through the whole series, you know that we started off talking about reasons to believe God, that he exists, that he created everything. It really has to start with that, just that basic. Then we went on and Gary took a couple of weeks where he talked about reasons to believe the Bible. How are we supposed to find out about this God? What's a reliable source of information? Lots of opinions about God. But where do you really go to find out about God? How can you find a trustworthy source of information? And I think Gary gave us some reasons to believe the Bible. Then last week, I did my best to try and show you that there's a good reason to believe Jesus. Now, we might think that, okay, well, we've kind of covered all the bases. What's left to talk about? I mean, if you believe that God exists, he created everything. If you believe that the Bible is his word, if you believe that Jesus is both son of man and son of God, what's left? Well, I think it's time to talk about the apostles. Where do they fit in all this stuff? It's an important question because you realize that most of the New Testament is written by the apostles, right? Jesus didn't write any letters that we have in our possession. He didn't write any books personally. None are signed by him. But of all the the books in the New Testament, most of them, all but about five, are written by apostles. And you see, it's important for us to talk about this because there's a difference between believing in the apostles and believing them. Think about that question or that that statement for just a second. There's a difference between believing in the apostles, believing that they existed, believing that they were working for Jesus, and actually believing the apostles. See, believing the apostles means accepting and applying their teaching. Did you realize that not everybody accepts the apostles' teaching? Have you ever run into anybody who made an argument that they don't listen to the apostles? That they don't have to? Watch the History Channel sometime. (laughs) They find experts from all over the globe who have all kinds of great reasons why you shouldn't have to believe what's written in the Bible, especially by what Madeline Marie O'Hara called protein-deficient fishermen. I I one time had a, uh, I don't even remember all the circumstances or the whole conversation, but there were a group of ladies I found myself in. They were all much older than me. And the, the topic of God come that came up, even this is about 20, 25 years ago. Even back then, that was my favorite topic to talk about. And as the conversation started turning to God, this entire group of women made it very clear to me that believing the Apostle Paul was out of the question for them. They didn't feel like they needed to listen to Paul. They didn't think that he was somebody that they should listen to. And they had their reasons for that. At the time, I had never heard of anybody that didn't want to listen to the apostles. Especially I had never heard of anybody saying, well, I'll listen to 11, but not that one. So in our world today, we have people who believe in the apostles, believe that they were real. And we have some people who believe some of the apostles. Maybe we ought to look at some reasons why we should believe the apostles, not just believe some of them and not just to believe in them. So let's get with uh, first, what is an apostle? Apostle, apostle 
is a transliterated word. Gary talked about that a couple of weeks ago. It's where they didn't have a really good English equivalent. And so they just kind of make it sound English. They just give you the Greek word. The Greek word for apostle is apostolos. And what it means, literally, it means messenger. He that is sent. So an apostle is somebody that's a messenger, someone who's sent by someone else to deliver a message. In the Bible, did you know that there are three different kinds of apostles, different categories of apostles that are mentioned? There are actually three. I always thought there was just one, but there's three. The first one you'll find over in Hebrews chapter three, verse one, it's Jesus. He is called the apostle. Jesus is the apostle. He was sent by God. He even referred to it in Luke 4, 43. He was out preaching the kingdom of God. And he said, this is why I've been sent is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He was sent by God. He is the apostle. Then there are the apostles of Jesus, which is where we're going to focus most of our attention in this lesson. The apostles of Jesus, you can find them referenced several places. I think the first reference for them is found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. It gives you the list of the original 12. And you know what's interesting to me is what qualifications Jesus was looking for or why he chose these 12 specifically is never mentioned. We're never told exactly what it was that made him choose these 12. But after Judas who was one of the 12, betrayed Jesus and killed himself. Peter got with the rest of the guys and said, we need to replace him. There needs to be 12 of us. And he had some some criteria that he listed out to the group. There were two, basically. One, they had to have been with Jesus from his baptism until his ascension. And two, he had to serve as a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. That's kind of an important thing if that... We could talk about that more, but we won't this morning. But you know that early on, uh, James, they call him James the Greater, it was the brother of John, was martyred. They were back to 11. And Jesus went and got another guy named Paul. He was also known as Saul. He had two names. He had a Greek name and he had a Roman name. His Roman name was Paul, and that's the one we normally talk about. His his, uh, Jewish name was Saul. But he was different. He didn't come down the same road that that Peter talked about. Paul talked about it. He said that uh, he was one that was abnormally born. He mentions it in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 through 9. And he said that because he had persecuted the church, he really didn't deserve to be an apostle. But he was an apostle of Jesus nonetheless. Jesus, whenever he met and, and revealed himself, his resurrected self to Paul... On the road to Damascus, and you know the story, he knocked him off of his donkey and blinded him and spoke to him. He sent word ahead to a guy in Damascus named Ananias. And what he says to Ananias is, yeah, don't be afraid of this guy. I've chosen him to be my specific instrument. I've got a plan for him. He was going to send Paul. And Paul talked about it too, his uh, controversy about his apostleship. Started almost immediately. And in Galatians, he found himself in that very first chapter defending that he actually was an apostle. And in that first chapter, he mentions that after he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he spent about three years learning from Jesus. 
He spent, and I guess it was about three years that the disciples, the other apostles, trained with Jesus too. Paul spent three years training with Jesus. And he even went on to make sure that everybody understood, I didn't learn this gospel from the other apostles. In fact, I didn't learn it from any other man. I learned it from Jesus himself. So yeah, he was an abnormal, abnormally born one, but he was also an apostle. That's two categories of apostles, if you keep them count. The third one... We don't talk about much because it doesn't really get translated as apostle in most verses, but it's apostles of the church. They're usually called messengers. There are two verses where this comes up. It's in 2 Corinthians 8.23 and Philippians 2.25. The messengers, but the Greek behind it is the very same word, apostolos. There are three different types of apostles that are mentioned in Scripture. And this always leads, anytime there's a discussion about apostles and who they were and how they were qualified, there always is a question that inevitably comes up. Can you guess what it is? I said that so I could take a drink. <laughs> we always get, I always run into people asking, are there apostles today? What do you think? Do you think that there are apostles today? Yes, no, maybe. I see a, a muttering. Maybe you haven't thought about it long enough to give an answer. I'll tell you what I think. I think that there might be, or at least there could be, apostles of the church. I just think we'd probably call them missionaries. But I doubt seriously that there are any new apostles of Jesus. I mean, I can't say definitively that there aren't. But Paul was abnormally born. And he said that he was the last one for Jesus to appear to. I doubt seriously that there are any new apostles today. If there were, then I would expect their story and their actions and their teaching to look a lot like Paul's. And I just frankly haven't seen anybody that comes close to mirroring that. But here's a question. Why would anyone claim that they were an apostle of Jesus today? How many of you guys listen to Steve Gregg's uh, radio show, The Narrow Path? Have you ever heard of the caller that comes in and he calls himself Apostle Smith? There was a guy that for a while, I think he's arrested now, I think he's in jail, so he isn't able to. <laughs> I talked with Steve about this because this guy was calling like every week for a while. He, 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 he was a crazy guy. But he would call in and he would call himself Apostle Smith. Why would he call himself an apostle other than possible mental illness? There are other people that don't have the same kind of problems as this guy who will call themselves apostles these days. I think that they do that because they want you to believe what they have to say. They want to hold themselves up as an authority, somebody to be listened to. Got to be careful who we listen to. But there is good reason. Actually, I've got three good reasons for us to listen to Jesus' apostles. And I'm talking about the original apostles, not any new ones. <laughs> I'd be real careful about those guys. First one is that Jesus sent them to teach us. Remember, the very word apostle means one who is sent. If they're an apostle of Jesus, and they were apostles of Jesus, they were sent to teach us. Got a couple of verses I want to show you. John 13, verse 20. 
Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send. In your notes, you might want to circle anyone I send. Anyone who accepts anyone I send accepts me. See, that's one of the things about an apostle. He represents the one who sent him. He goes on and says, whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So accepting Jesus as apostle is the same thing as accepting Jesus, which is the same thing as accepting God. That's pretty important, isn't it? I mean, we could probably end the lesson right there, frankly, and say, okay, now let's get ready to party tonight. Because that's really all that we would need to know. But there's, there's more we can talk about with this. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 16. There Jesus said, the one who listens to you listens to me. And catch this, the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So in these two verses, you've got both a positive and a negative affirmation. If you accept the apostles, then you're accepting Jesus and you're accepting God. Because this message that they're bringing to us started with God and was sent to us specifically through Jesus. And Jesus commissioned and sent out his apostles to bring that same message to us. And so accepting the apostles' teaching is accepting Jesus and is accepting God. And by the way, rejecting, rejecting their message means rejecting Jesus and rejecting God. So here's a little equation that I'll give you from these two verses. Accepting equals listening. And listening equals doing. Listening equals doing. Now, if we factor that in to this discussion in these two places where Jesus is talking about how we're supposed to respond to his apostles, you'll see why I'm drawing a difference between believing in the apostles and actually believing them. See, I can believe in the apostles. I can believe that Jesus really sent them. I can believe that they historically existed. I can believe that they wrote these letters But that's not the same thing as accepting, listening, and doing what they say. And there's a very good reason to accept, listen, and do. Jesus trained these guys, and he sent them specifically to teach us. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, are you listening to them? Are you accepting them? Are you listening to them? You know how you can answer that question? Are you doing what they teach? If you're doing what they teach, then, yeah, you're listening and you're accepting. But if you're not doing what they teach, are you rejecting them? That's worth considering, isn't it? See, we can, we can come to church and we can talk a lot about what Jesus says to do. And we can believe in the apostles, but not really believe them. And that's what I want to, I think that's a very good reason for us to believe them. The second reason is their teaching is foundational. It is not optional. It is not supplemental. 
It's foundational. Check out Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 20. Paul, that last apostle, wrote this to a group of Christians like us that lived in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a tough town, by the way. But this is what he says to them in verses 19 through 20. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Now, if you read that just kind of quickly, you might miss some of the gold that's in this passage. First of all, the apostles, everything that we are, we are, build, we are being built into a temple. Let me, let me start from that standpoint. We are being built into a holy temple. You know what temples were for, don't you? Temples were there as a visual place to show the world the deity that's in charge. And in temples, I mean, there were a lot of temples to false gods. But at the heart of the temple, there would be a statue of the god to represent him. We are the statue of God as Christians because we're made in God's image. We're being built together into a temple to show the world the God that's really in charge. And the foundation of this temple is the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone, which is the most important piece of that foundation, is Jesus himself. The teachings of the apostles are foundational, not optional. And where this is all going, and we're still in the process of this. This is happening right now, even as we're speaking. This is going on today and in this place and in this time. We are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ever heard somebody say that their body is the temple of the Spirit? Their body is a temple? That's partially true. This verse says it's us together that is the temple. Christianity isn't a solo sport. It's together that we're being built. It's together that we are being made into a dwelling place for God. And the foundation for that building is on the teaching of the apostles. Give you a glimpse into what's coming in the future. It's in Revelation 21, verse 14. It's an amazing chapter. And there's a picture of the new Jerusalem, the city of God coming out of, out of heaven and coming to earth. And look at how it's portrayed here. It says, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I believe what we get there in Revelation is a picture of where God is going to be with his creation when it's finished. What we're, going, what we're doing right now, even as we labor in our classes and in our preaching, to tell you about what God taught, what, what he sent Jesus to say, and what Jesus sent his apostles to say, is we're trying to learn how to be and to do what forms on top of this foundation which is a dwelling place for God. 
These 12 foundations have the names of the 12 apostles on them. How important is it for us to listen and to believe the apostles, to accept what they say, not just to believe in them, but to actually believe them by accepting and doing what they teach. Now, I mentioned earlier that that Peter said there had to be 12. Jesus picked 12 apostles. 12 foundations with 12 apostles' names. Why 12? Why did there have to be 12? It's an important number. Yes, that is astute. I'll give you what I think. You can decide for yourself if this is right or not. But I think it's important to look at it. Old Testament Israel had how many tribes? Twelve tribes. Twelve patriarchs. Why did God choose Israel? What was his purpose for Israel? To take the message of God's mercy and his plan to fix, to redeem and fix his broken creation to the rest of the world. They were his chosen instrument to take this message of mercy and hope and love to the rest of the world. How did Old Testament Israel do with that mission? If you've read much Bible at all, you find out that they were hit and miss. And towards the end, they got a lot more miss than hit. And chief among their problems were they got sort of puffed up that God gave them the letter. And instead of delivering that letter to the rest of the world, they just said, hey, we're important. We've got the law. We know God. And it got bad. They weren't just. They weren't merciful. They weren't faithful. And God kept warning them through the prophets And he wanted them to listen to the prophets the same way that he wants us now to listen to the apostles. And for the same reason. Because listening, accepting equals listening equals doing. He wanted Israel to perform the function that he had put them there and brought a covenant together with them to to have. And yet they just kept becoming, they, they were part of the problem. Not the solution. And if you know the story of Israel, what happened is they were eventually decimated. They were all but completely wiped out. In fact, I think why they called them Jews instead of each one of the 12 tribes in the New Testament was because they were so obliterated that now they just had the one name of Judah shortened into Jew. I think that's actually what happened there. I I wouldn't stake my reputation on it. But I think that's what happened. The reality was from 12 tribes, they were down to just this little group that Jesus called, or I'm sorry, that is called a remnant. I think actually it's Paul that talks about them being a remnant. You can read about this small what's left over of Israel in Romans 11. And Paul will tell you about this remnant. Israel never ceased to exist. And then he goes on to argue, and this is where I'm leading to with this discussion of 12. See, Jesus was reconstituting Israel. He was putting her back together because the mission was not over. The mission to take God's mercy, his message of mercy and his plans that he is going to fix broken creation and redeem it and make it what he always had in mind is still the mission for his Israel. And those of us that are Christians have been grafted in to that family. That's what Paul's talking about. Twelve is important. Twelve symbolizes that new family of God. 
There were 12 apostles. And it's so important that we believe, not just believe in the apostles, but to believe them, to accept their teaching and to do what they say because it's the foundation of what's being built. It's the foundation of the home, the temple that God's building. That is still going on. One day the construction will be complete. Each one of us, Peter says, are a living stone brought into this construction. Our foundation has got to be the apostles' teaching. I think that's a powerful reason for us to believe the apostles. The last one I want to show you this morning, the last reason why I think we should believe the apostles is because devotion determines destiny. Devotion determines destiny. Why am I making that point? Well, I'm going to show you Acts chapter 2. We're going to spend the rest of our time with that one this morning. We're going to look at verses 41 through 47. Because this is what's, what's picking up the story. Luke is recording the history of the church. And he's told us so many things. And this is early on in, in his account. And he says that, and this is right after Peter, one of the apostles, had delivered really the first gospel message. And he says there in verse 41, those who accepted his message. You might want to circle accepted his message. What did Jesus say? Anyone who accepts the one I send accepts me. So we're talking about that group. They accepted Peter's message, which means they're accepting Jesus, which means they're accepting God. That group, guess what they did? They were baptized. They were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. I used to look at these as four different devotions. I don't see it quite that way anymore. I see this as one singular devotion that expresses itself in three areas. Because the apostles' teaching teaches about fellowship, doesn't it? And they teach about breaking of bread, don't they? And they teach prayer and how to pray. And over this summer, over this past year from this pulpit, we've done a lot to try and bring to you the apostles' teachings on these things. It's one of the reasons why we keep getting together in these small, awkward little groups to pray after the Lord's Supper. Because the apostles teach us to be devoted to prayer. Do you know what devoted means? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, we use that word pretty commonly. Sometimes it's just as dangerous as when we don't know the word at all. Because sometimes it can kind of take on a meaning that maybe isn't true to the original intent. Devotion, as I've looked at that word, I think it has two aspects. The first one is commitment. I think that's mostly what we think of when we think about devoted. I'm committed. But that isn't the whole flavor of this word. Because there's not just commitment, there's also affection. We're commanded, the apostles teach us to be devoted to one another. I can be committed to you and not really like you. That's not keeping the apostles' teaching. I'm supposed to have some affection. And look at how it's recorded here by Luke. They devoted themselves. They were committed and had affection for the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching on fellowship, the apostles teaching on breaking bread together and 
prayer. And look at the results of what being devoted to the apostles teachings brought out for this group. It says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you get that picture? Those 12 foundations? Do you get the picture of this temple that's being built, this household of God? As they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and they're building on this foundation, this temple is arising. It's coming up layer by layer. It's starting to take shape. It's starting to take form. It's starting to look like something. And look at what it looks like. The first thing it looks like is unity and family. Verses 44 through 46. They said that all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. And every day they continued to meet together. In temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Let me ask you, does that describe us? I got to let you know, in certain circles in this congregation, yes, it does. Yes, it does. You will see what we just read about in certain circles. And you guys know that, don't you? Do you think it just happens? You get baptized and all of a sudden you break out in community? That you all of a sudden break out into unity? That all of a sudden with no mind, no mind to it at all, it's just family? Do you think that happens? I wish it did too. Because what we're left with is, no, it only happens when we're devoted to the apostles' teachings. Did the apostles teach anything about unity and family? Romans 16, 16 says this, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, before anybody gets too turned on by this idea, <laughs> we, we, we want to be careful with how we, how we approach this because their custom was to kiss. Not on the lips, not in an erotic or sexual kind of way. Did you know that there, there are no less than four more scriptures in the, in, from teachings from the apostles? There are no less than five total references where we're commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss. What would be the moderate equivalent for us since kissing on the cheek is not necessary? I gotta tell you though, there are some brothers that whenever I meet them, they kiss me. I've gotten used to it. At first, I was a little... One of them is Rex Crossland. Rex, if you went to the marriage retreat, you saw Rex. Rex towers over me. And what Rex will do is he will hug me and he will... And kiss me right on my bald head. (laughs) And I'm always hoping that I've been sweaty and that it's oily. So (laughs) He's been doing that since I had curly hair. Because I knew him whenever I was... But he does the same thing to Tim. 
He'll, he can't get to the top of Tim's head because Tim's nearly as tall. But he'll kiss Tim on the cheek. There are other guys that I know that, and what they're doing is they're showing me affection. And they're showing me acceptance. And as weird as it was, and I'm not encouraging anybody, to, any of you guys to kiss me. Um, I'm not encouraging you ladies to do that either because I know, I, I know what I look like, so you don't have to do that. But <laughs> it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice to have that kind of warmth because that's affectionate. And it's nice. The apostles teach us to be that way with one another. Are we listening to their teaching? Let me ask you, do you really believe the apostles? Or do you just believe in them? How you greet your brothers and sisters should tell you something about whether you just believe in them or whether you actually believe them. Because if you will greet your brothers and sisters with affection, like the apostles teach us to do, Something will build. And for those of you that do that, for those of you who know this because you're experiencing already, doesn't it build family? Doesn't it build unity? And it's different because you end up finding yourself closer to people that you thought you would never be close to because you're just so different. Or in some cases, too much alike. And yet something is being built through the Spirit. The other thing that I noticed in this, in this passage is what being devoted to the apostles' teaching did was it caused them to praise God because they were grateful. How do I know they were grateful? Well, it says they had glad and sincere hearts. So they were praising God. You know, when we get together as a church, part of the reason why we sing is to praise God. And sometimes I think we just get so into the liturgy of it that it's not really about praising God. Sometimes it can be, I'm just distracted with everything, so this is the part where we sing. Or I don't sing well, so I'm not going to sing. Or I'm just too whatever, and so it really isn't about being grateful, and it really isn't about being glad and sincere. But boy, is it, I bet everybody here has had that chance where they can remember that time whenever it was about being grateful. Where it was about having that glad and sincere heart. And where you did experience that rich, deep fellowship of singing together. And praising isn't always just singing. Sometimes just talking about how good God is to us. And bragging on the things that he's done. And wherever you've been there, hasn't it been rich? Hasn't it been wonderful? And something is built. But do you think that that just happens that having a glad and sincere heart and praising God is just a flip that the spirit throws inside your heart and you just get there. Or do you think it's also a part of believing the apostles teaching? One verse I would show you is out of Philippians two fourteen. Paul wrote to that little church too. And he made this statement. He says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's a teaching. In churches, we can get really upset with what we think should be happening, how we should be treated, and we focus and then we start complaining and grumbling rather than building and greeting and loving. 
Friends, sitting back and pointing out all the flaws in this group is not the same as believing the apostles. You can believe in the apostles and find everything that's wrong with this place. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. You're smart people. You can see where the problems are. But complaining about it is not building on the apostles' teachings. It's wallowing in your pride. Think about that for a second. Anybody can complain. But a disciple that believes and applies the apostles' teachings, instead of grumbling and complaining, will take action to be different. Whenever they see a problem, they see someone that, that ignores them, what will they do? They'll go and greet that person. Rather than sitting back and waiting to be greeted, we weren't taught to do that. They'll go do the greeting because they were taught that. Do you see that? There's any number of things besides this whole being friendly thing that we could point to with that. I'm trying to get a principle across. Here's the third thing. Third result of them being devoted. Remember, devoted is committed and having affection for the apostles' teachings. The third thing that happened in that early church was the world around them liked that church. The world around them liked them. They grew in favor with all the people. You know, there are times whenever I think this church is pretty popular. Treats from the trunk, we've been getting a couple thousand every year for a while. And I think for the most part, we have a pretty good reputation in this town. It may be more for our events than it is for the things that we want it to be. But that is also changing. They liked this church. Do you think that that just happened naturally? That God just made that happen? Or do you think that there were some teachings from the apostles that caused the world around them to like this church? You, you know I'm sneaking up on you, right? Pretty obvious. Think of Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Here's one of their teachings that directly affects how the world feels about us. Paul said, then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to do things like Fall Fest. We get a chance to do something good for the world around us. We get to, we get to, to entertain them. We get to love up on them and their kids and to provide them an environment that they can't just find anyplace else. But you know what? We also get to work with each other and have fun. And to do good with each other. And that doesn't just happen automatically. That happens where we take serious what the apostles teach us. And what we do is we end up building as we take and we're devoted to their teaching on these things. Another chorus of stone is added. Another feature in the temple is carved. And more of what it's like. Have you ever built something and as it's coming together you start seeing it take shape? And then it gets you excited about when it's going to be finished. Devotion to what the apostles teach, believing them, will allow you to see this temple of God taking shape before our very eyes. And again, some of you guys have already experienced this. You've seen it in campus. You guys have met some people. They start off in one place, but then they become devoted. Maybe it was you. You become devoted to the apostles' teachings, and all of a sudden, things start changing. 
things start changing and it starts getting better. The last one I want to show you that I got out of this passage is the end result was that the Lord added to their number. He added to their number those who were being saved. Those of you that hang out with me much know that I'm not really a big fan of huge groups and huge churches because a lot of times in our day and age we see mega churches where you can get a mega crowd but you don't get many disciples. And the mega churches talk about this problem that they have. That sometimes being in a bigger church makes it harder to do what the church is here to actually do. At the same time, Whenever the Spirit starts building us through our obedience and our devotion to the apostles' teachings, and the world begins to notice these changes and what's happening, and it's not just because we do cool things or we have the greatest singing or the greatest preacher, obviously not that. If we have all these great things to draw them, that's not why the world will come. They will come because they see the character of Christ. And guess what happens? This is one where the Lord does the work. The Lord will add to their number, but yet the apostles still have a teaching for us on this too, don't they? Think of what Paul said to us in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 to 20. He says, and he, God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are still Israel. We're still Israel. We have a message of reconciliation to take to the world. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors, by the way, go. They go to the other nations. They don't sit home and wait for the nations to come to them. They take the message to the people. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. If we're devoted to the apostles' teachings like the early church was, we're going to take the message of reconciliation Out to everybody we know, because we'll be excited about it. We'll see and get a sense of what God is doing, what he's bringing to completion as he changes us, as he builds us into this temple. We'll have this hope for what's yet to come in the age to come, and we'll want other people to be a part of it. And we will do, through God's spirit, what God always wanted his people to do, to tell the rest of the world what he's up to. And even that's happening here some too, isn't it? There are some of our groups here that are constantly talking about who they're talking to. There are some of our folks here that are reaching out to their neighbors. And they can't wait to bring their friends and their family to our gatherings to show them what's happening. What I'm telling you is that there's still room for us to grow because not all of us yet this morning believe the apostles. Some of us are stuck for whatever reason in just believing in the apostles. Maybe for some of you, if you're guests here today, you may not even be at that point yet. But I'm talking to you that do believe God, the Bible, and Jesus. And I want to encourage us all to believe the apostles. Because that church we just read about can be us. That can be us. And the truth is, it's already started here. It has already started here. I see several of you nodding your heads. You've seen this. This is not like it's not happening anywhere in this church. It's just not happening enough. It's not happening enough. Now, why do I say that? I'm not trying to be condemning or or critical, but whenever you get a sampler at the grocery store or something that tastes really good, you want a lot more. (laughs) Right? 
when you get a taste of the Lord, when you get a taste of what of devotion to the apostles' teaching produces, you want more. You want to see it get built. You can't wait to see this take shape and to see the next thing that God's going to do. My wife has gotten into quilting. And uh, she's got, what, what, what is that, babe? What's it called? The monthly thing? Block of the month. Block of the month. Okay. So someone somewhere sends out this, here's a piece. They don't tell her what she's building. They just say, build this one piece. Right? She has no idea until it's done what it's actually going to be. She just finished one. And it's really cool. But at a certain point, it starts to take shape and you start seeing what's coming about. If we will be devoted to the apostles' teaching and just be obedient to the things we know and then be hungry to learn more of their teaching and to apply it, not just to believe in the apostles, but to believe them, we're going to see things come together. It's going to start taking shape. And really, I think we're going to start recognizing the shape that it's taking because it is already happening here. We're going to start recognizing it. We're going to get excited. And the world around us will get excited too. Those are my reasons that I have for believing the apostles. Next week, Tim's going to start a brand new sermon series. And I cannot wait to hear what he's got planned. It's called Red Sea Rules. And he's going to be talking to us lessons that we can learn about our journey from their journey. And I think it's really going to be very, very good. So I'm actually excited. I hope that you will come back and bring some people with you to not only hear what Tim's going to tell us about that, things that can encourage us, things that can embolden us and strengthen us, but also to let them have a taste of what God's doing here in this church. To let them smell and to see and to touch the difference between here and what the rest of the world's got to offer. And that you will be a part of showing them that you'll be a part of touching them, that you'll be a part, they can see how you're being devoted to the apostles' teachings and the difference it's making in your life. Let's pray. We'll be done this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for giving us the apostles and for having it written down for us. We still have the apostles available to us today, and it's a miracle that their letters and their teachings in those letters were preserved for us so that we can still learn Your hand is at work. And Your grace is so incredible. You've been so patient with us. And Father, we get in a hurry to see the shape take form. We get in a hurry to see things change. But Father, we know that You are the master builder. I pray that You'll help us to be more excited than ever to find out about that foundation, those apostles' teachings, and to take them seriously and not level it at everybody else and what they should be doing, but look at ourselves and make sure that we're the ones that are doing our part. And that, like that quilt project that Chris does, that we'll see these pieces that we work on coming together and know that you're the one that's building it. Father, we want to give you praise in all that we say and do. We pray that you'll bless our efforts tonight. I pray that you'll bring people that need to hear your message and need to see unity and family and commitment to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.